Hello, thank you for joining us. I'm Robert Bateman, Analyst and Research Director at GRC World Forums. And today's podcast is about driving fairness in AI using synthetic data. Now, to discuss this, I'm joined by Alexandra Ebert, who is the Chief Trust Officer at Mostly AI. Hello, Alexandra. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Robert. It's my pleasure to be here. So just before we start with the questions uh, about synthetic data and their role in, in AI development, could you please tell us a bit about yourself, Alexandra, and what you do at Mostly AI? Happy to do that. So you already mentioned I'm Mostly AI's Chief Trust Officer. Mostly AI itself is the synthetic data company. We help organizations to unlock uh, data for privacy-preserving analytics and other data use cases. And the question I quite often get is when I tell my job title, what is actually a Chief Trust Officer? What do I do? So, of course, trust is a big uh, component of my day-to-day work. I work a lot with regulators, data protection authorities, the um, privacy community, uh, tackling issues around fairness, around privacy, around responsible AI, and of course, also educating and having conversations about synthetic data and how it helps to uh, overcome some of the challenges that many organizations nowadays face when it comes to utilizing data, but of course, also complying with GDPR, CCPA, and all the other emerging privacy regulations out there. Great. So there's uh, there's two aspects of the use cases for synthetic data you mentioned there. Firstly, being the the, the kind of fairness in AI issue, and secondly, the the, the privacy benefits. We're going to focus today on the well. This is something that's coming up quite a lot at the moment uh, in the tech press and the the public conversation. Really, fairness in AI. Uh, broadly speaking. What's the issue here? What, in what sorts of situations can AI lead to unfair outcomes or discrimination? <laughs> Not an easy question to start off. So uh, actually, there are many situations where AI can lead to discrimination. But maybe taking a step back, I think why this is currently such a hot topic that's thoroughly discussed from people from so many different backgrounds, being it technologists, being it philosophers, ethicists, regulators, is that we all see that AI is more and more widely used and will be even more adopted uh, in the economic world moving forward. And in general, I think that's a good point because there's so many aspects where artificial intelligence can really help us to serve our customers better, automate aspects, increase our productivity, help us in science and healthcare. So overall, I think that's a good place. But one thing that we really need to take care of is that we don't perpetuate the biases that we as humans have historically exhibited against members of certain groups into the AI world so that we basically basically don't automate inequality. And the issue here is that not AI itself is evil or is kind of against certain groups of people. It's just the training data that we use for AI is the historic real world data that reflects our human biases. And this is something that we need to correct against. So you mentioned that you you touched upon the causes of possible discrimination in AI alongside, you know, some of the the benefits that AI can bring to society. Can we talk a bit more about how 
this actually happens? What what's the problem? Is it an issue <laughs> with the algorithms or or the humans that are developing them? Or or you mentioned training data there. Tell us a bit more about uh, about that. Sure, happy to do that. So I think it's important to remember that there is not one culprit and one puzzle piece that needs to be solved to eliminate all biases out of artificial intelligence. It's actually the combination. So a huge part definitely is the training data. I already mentioned that we have historic biases in data. To give our listeners an example, uh, Amazon once had a reputational um issue when they wanted to use artificial intelligence in their HR department to help them better select which candidates to invite for an interview. And the problem here was that they trained on historic uh, employment data. And as we all know, historically speaking, there was, of course, a majority of ma uh, male candidates that were working at tech companies. And so to simplify what the algorithm learned was if we're looking for a candidate, especially in a management position, then quite likely it shouldn't be a woman because I haven't seen any examples of women successfully or not enough examples of women successfully being a manager uh, in the past decade to say so. And this resulted in not showing or not inviting females to, to the company, which of course, or to, to interviews, which of course led to them stopping the process and not using AI for it. So one example are historic biases. Another thing can also be insufficient training data. And here we've seen examples specifically in the domain of facial recognition systems, where some leading AI um, ethics researchers have highlighted that many of the facial recognition systems that are available at the major uh, technology or cloud providers in the United States, but also in China, were trained on data sets that were imbalanced. So what does this mean? The data sets used to train these algorithms contain significantly more examples of Caucasian, so light-skinned individuals, and not enough examples of darker-skinned individuals, specifically darker-skinned females, which led to the performance of this system being really subpar for darker-skinned females, which of course could discriminate against this group of people or could lead to a significantly decreased quality of service if an AI algorithm is deployed where this imbalanced data was used to train it. So this is one example, but it's also, um, even though the data that you may collect is biased, it's quite hard to de-bias training data. So some attempts in the past were to just remove, for example, sensitive attributes like ethnicity or gender in with the hope to then solve the problem and not giving the algorithm access to something it could discriminate against. But uh, the researchers actually uncovered that this is the wrong approach because the only thing you achieve with removing the sensitive attributes is that you're working in the blind and can't really course correct if your algorithm exhibits bias. And it can still discriminate against people because it will use certain proxy variables to exhibit this discrimination. For example, in the United States, we see that certain neighborhoods have a higher prevalence of darker skinned individuals, and therefore the zip code could be used as a proxy for the algorithm to don't uh, or to deny credit to, to people living in these areas, as one okay. example. Interesting. So rather than, um, so by removing explicit reference to race, for example, the, the algorithm would select instead for something like a zip code, which 
of course, correlates quite often with a person's race. So exactly, exactly, and that's remains. actually a big issue also on the policy side because on the one hand we have regulations requiring organizations to make sure that they don't discriminate and especially also with the upcoming AI Act in the European Union ensuring fair training data and ensuring fair systems is yeah. something that will be paramount and that can be uh, can lead to hefty fines if you violate these requirements but on the other hand there are laws out there that uh, prohibit organizations to even collect or use the sensitive attributes in the first place. So my prediction is that we potentially need to uh, untangle some of our regulatory requirements here a little bit to make AI fairness something that's truly achievable. And then, of course, since you asked in the beginning whether it's the algorithm or the humans that are to blame, uh, that's, of course, another aspect here that also diversity amongst AI professionals is not necessarily on the level it should be. So we only have, I think, 22% of uh, AI professionals that are female. And if we look into darker skinned individuals, I think there's the statistic that at Facebook and Google, there are roughly 2% of tech roles um, held by darker skinned individuals. So we definitely need to undertake efforts to increase diversity, to have people from different cultural backgrounds different religions, different ethnicities, to ensure when systems are developed that diverse perspectives are taken and that you do the best you can to avoid any blind spots and uh, not mitigating some issues uh, before putting the system into production. Sure. So you've mentioned kind of three potential problems for AI using personal data that or, or indeed anonymized data that can present to create discrimination or bias such as uh, re reinforcing existing biases that exist among the training set in the first place so if you traditionally hired more men than women obviously your historic hr data is going to be biased towards exactly. men uh, insufficient data um, just a small data set in itself is problematic because it's likely to be skewed or more likely to be skewed and uh, insufficient in particular areas. And also the diversity among researchers and developers of AI. So all these things can feed into this problem of discrimination. Absolutely. And actually a bunch, whole lot of more things, but yeah. I think this would extend the scope of this episode. But for those listeners interested, I have also a blog post on our company website, which is called 10 Reasons for Bias in AI. Not saying that it's only 10 reasons, there are even more, but it's a good starting point to dive oh, deeper. Okay. Well, we, we scratched the surface there with three, three major reasons. Yeah. We, we're going to talk about how synthetic data addresses some of these issues and the, the, the pros and cons of using synthetic data over personal data. First, could you just tell us, uh, this is what you do mostly, so what is synthetic data? Do, just give us a, a 101 on, on that, please. Sure, happy to do that. So there's one analogy for synthetic data that you can think of synthetic data as a rich, delicious cake, but without the calories. So basically, synthetic data is a sophisticated new approach to data anonymization that allows you to retain basically all of the information that's available in a data set, but without the risk of re-identification or without the risk of leaking any 
privacy sensitive information. And the way it works is that you use AI and more specifically deep learning algorithms and train them on existing data sets. So for example, we work a lot in the financial sector and when we provide our technology, our software to let's say a huge bank in the United States, we, of course, as a company, never get access to the data, so they deploy it on their premises. They use this algorithm to learn all the patterns, the correlations, and all the time dependencies in an existing, let's say, financial transaction data set. And then once this training is completed, a completely separate data set, a synthetic data set, is generated from scratch. And this data set has all the same uh, statistics. It's highly representative. It has the same correlations, the same time dependencies. So, for example, what we see quite often in the financial services industry is that older people go to cash retrieving machines uh, only like once a month, but retrieve the maximum amount of money they're allowed to versus, for example, college students would go twice on the weekend just to retrieve a few dollars or a few euros to pay for the next round of drinks at a bar. So all of these granular behaviors are retained, but they're not associated with real individuals anymore. And this really unlocks data for analytics use cases, for data sharing use cases by retaining the value, but eliminating the privacy risks and the compliance risks. Interesting. So the data set in your example, though, is generated from a set of, kind of exactly. real world data. Can you make a distinction between synthetic data, uh, pseudonymous data and anonymous data? Is there any, I suppose it is anonymous in a sense, but is, is there a difference between, for example, a set of personal data with the identifiers removed, as in anonymized, and and synthetic data. Maybe we could explore that a bit, the distinctions there. Excellent question, Robert. Happy to do that. So uh, I think it's also important to clarify this because uh, this is still something that's oftentimes confused by people um, working in the data space and especially senior leadership teams. Uh, first, maybe the difference between pseudonymous information and anonymous information. I mean, of course, it will be apparent for all the privacy pros listening, but for those not that deep into regulations, especially GDPR, which can be seen as one of the strictest privacy or if not the strictest privacy regulation out there, is super clear when it comes to pseudonymous information that pseudonymization or encryption or other techniques are just increasing the security and the protection level of personal data, but it still remains personal data and therefore you have to fulfill all the GDPR obligations. Versus with anonymous information, there is recital 26 in GDPR that explicitly states that anonymous information, as long as it's, uh, let's say, successfully anonymized and nearly impossible to re-identify, or at least that it would take lots and lots of time and lots and lots of effort with current technologies, but also future technologies, if you have satisfied this level of anonymity, then you're out of scope of GDPR and can freely use this information. And this actually holds true for nearly all of the other privacy regulations. Once something is anonymous, it's exempt. And then to the second part of your questions, what's the difference between traditionally, or like to also call it legacy or anonymization with legacy anonymization techniques and synthetic data. When I'm speaking of traditional anonymization or legacy anonymization techniques, I'm referring to techniques like masking or obfuscating. And what all of these techniques have in common is that they are destructive approaches that are applied directly on an 
existing original data sets. So basically you try to mask, obfuscate, distort, delete certain parts of the data set in, a, in an attempt to protect the privacy and in a hope to make re-identification impossible. But there are two problems to this approach. One approach or one problem is that it's, as I mentioned, destructive and it's in fact so destructive that you can retain nearly no valuable information. So speaking in percentages, you can think of retaining 1%, 2%, 3%, maybe 5% of information in a large anonymous traditionally anonymized data set before you run into this risk of re-identification. And this is, of course, not much data value that you can retain and uh, provide to, for example, your AI and analytics team to really make use of this data. So usability is an issue. But the even bigger issue is actually the privacy component of it. There's a vast body of research out there that highlights that even if you only keep, let's say, two or three attributes in a huge data set per individual, then you can already re-identify over sometimes 50, 60, sometimes even 80% of individuals in your data set, which of course clearly doesn't satisfy the high anonymization requirements that we see within GDPR and other privacy regulations. So to sum up, with legacy anonymization techniques, you're simply not safe anymore and they shouldn't be applied to uh, big data sets. Versus synthetic data is a technology that was specifically developed to anonymize big data sets, behavioral data sets that have so much more data points and are so much more granular than old small data sets. And achieve a successful anonymization there that can't be reverted back. And the reason that's not possible is that you don't work on the existing data set and try to distort some parts of it, but you just learn from the existing data set and then completely separate, create a new synthetic data set that doesn't have any one-to-one relations to real data subjects. And this is what, and this is what keeps you safe from re-identification. Mm, so the GDPR, like you mentioned there, sets a very high bar for anonymization where it would be virtually well not literally impossible but uh, extremely difficult to re-identify a person based on the data that you you have that might once have originally been about them but with synthetic data it was never about anyone you know it may be based on uh, an original data set but it's entirely regenerated from almost from scratch as, as it were that's that's the distinction it's you can still work with it unlike something like encrypted data you can exactly use it. it's malleable and so on and okay so you described uh you described synthetic data as uh, a delicious cake without the calories earlier right. now i'd love to eat something like that i'm just wondering is that too good to be true is there a catch here what are there any drawbacks from using synthetic data if we imagine that there is a way to use real world data is there an advantage or a disadvantage to to that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, i think you're actually uh, right spot on with the point so I would say when you ask about drawbacks of using synthetic data, it always depends on your perspective. Yes, synthetic data is not exactly as accurate as production data. This simply wouldn't be possible due to privacy reasons. You need to protect at least a very small percentage of uh, outliers and, and sensitive groups. But you're getting really, really close with synthetic data. So especially when we talk about the usability of the data set, there aren't really any drawbacks compared to using production data or just a few ones. But the real question is, you said, 
thinking of a scenario where production data could be used versus synthetic data. And in reality, that's not really the comparison that is made because with all the privacy regulations that we already have and that are up on the horizon, that's seldom your or nearly never the case that you can really access and use real production data. So for many AI practitioners, it's either about using traditionally anonymized data, which I already pointed out earlier, is just not useful for AI training, or not using any data at all and stopping the project because you can't access data, or using synthetic data, which is free to use and which gives you the quality that you need to train AI systems. So uh, looking at it from that perspective, I would say there are only benefits using synthetic data. But of course, if you compare it with the real production data, you have to expect that it's not 100% as accurate, but super, super, super close to it. Sure. So there's uh, my, my scenario, they created a kind of false, uh, false choice between something that's ultimately not really usable from a regulatory point of view or or even a fairness point of view uh whereas uh, with, with something that is in practical terms better all, all around in in your view um mm-hmm. so the the we, we talk we have touched upon this quite a lot but i wanted to get into a bit of detail with the regulatory aspects here so there there there's a bit of regulation around AI development. We talked about the GDPR that has some implications for use of AI systems, mm-hmm. but we're seeing on the horizon a bit more regulatory action in this area. How does synthetic data fit within that? For example, the upcoming uh, EU AI Act or mm-hmm. AI regulation, which I believe imposes some obligations in the development of AI around fairness in training sets. Maybe you could talk a bit about that, the regulatory aspects. Sure. So you're completely right. Uh, With the AI Act, we see requirements for fairness in the training data sets that you use, but also, of course, in the algorithms that you deploy, especially uh, in higher risk use cases. But we also see many more requirements in regards to transparency of algorithms, in regards to explainability. And all of these, uh, let's say, responsible AI requirements can be supported or fulfilled with synthetic data. We haven't yet talked too much about um, how synthetic data can help with the fairness. So we'll come to this maybe at a later point if we have the time, but also with transparency and explainability, you can't understand an algorithm if you simply give access uh, to the algorithm, you need data to explore it and to see how it behaves because it's the behavior of the algorithm you want to understand. And this is something that can be perfectly done with synthetic data because it's data that's granular and thus realistic, but it's privacy safe. And therefore, not only you within your organization can use it to test it or give a diverse group of people access to data to test your system, but also external auditors, regulators, and many other organizations who you might want to have in your, um, have as a support to to achieve systems that are um, explainable and and fair. So this is one aspect where it can help you. And in general, I think um, we already saw with GDPR increasing demand for synthetic data, but now with the AI Act, this is just skyrocketing because so many C-levels around the globe from uh, large tech companies, from large financial and insurance providers, telco industry, are now realizing that on the one hand, the need to deploy 
deploy AI, but there is no way around responsible AI and the need to have algorithms that are fair and the need to train on representative and fair data. And this is where synthetic data can help. To give you another example, the analyst from Gartner also predicts that already in two years, or two years in a little bit, so 2024, 60% of all data used for AI training will in fact be synthetic data. And I think one of the reasons, of course, is the privacy issue pointed out earlier, where synthetic data helps you to overcome this uh, locked up data problem. But the other component is definitely also fairness and the capacity of synthetic data that you can make it, the data sets you train AI on fairer as they were in the beginning. Interesting. A prediction from Gartner there, What's the time scale for that? 60% of, of AI training data will be synthetic. Exactly, uh, in the next two years. Next two years, okay. Well, that's uh, that's very encouraging uh, prediction uh, for, for yourselves at Mostly. So um, how can people go about uh, learning more about synthetic data, Alexandra, before we close? What, what, uh, what would you recommend people do if they're interested in going down this road? Mm-hmm. So for synthetic data in general, uh, we have lots of educational content on our website, ebooks. There are so many other uh, books and materials and research out there. And one thing that we yet didn't or didn't yet cover in detail is fair synthetic data. So I would love to give our listeners a few points on fair synthetic data. And mm. here I already pointed out with uh, one of the biggest problems in AI training actually being the training data, which is either historically biased or just insufficient because you didn't collect enough examples of, let's say, darker skinned uh, individuals or groups of a certain minority. And one of the beautiful aspects of synthetic data is that you can actually uh, change a data set to not reflect the world as it is, but to reflect the world as you would love it to be. And create more representative examples of individuals from, let's say, uh, underrepresented groups like darker skin tone or even high earning women or uh, gender diversity and so on and so forth. And this really takes out one of the burdens of AI training when it comes to fairness, that the training data is already fair and that this also improves the overall fairness of your system. This doesn't say that this is the silver bullet solution. You still should have a diverse group of people developing the algorithm you still should have auditing and you still should monitor the algorithm and take some other steps to mitigate bias and achieve fairness. But it's really helping with one of the big problems of fairness. And synthetic data, uh, when it's not specifically fair, but just in general, also supports the fairness component by simply providing data for validation and testing. So I highlighted it earlier that having a synthetic data set that is uh, also full of underrepresented segments and even gives you realistic examples of edge cases that algorithms potentially didn't even see in their training could help auditing firms, could help auditing teams within organizations to detect issues of fairness that might have gone uncovered until the system would be in production and something bad happens in the real world. So also a beautiful aspect where I think synthetic data will play its role with our advances in AI. So you can take a synthetic data set and it's sort of malleable enough to the extent that you can tweak it for the demographics you'd like to see represented. Am I, am I understanding you correctly exactly. there? Exactly. So that's that's the case. And the beauty here is that, of course, there is some human input in the way how this should be um, 
modeled and, and created, but overall it's the power of the deep learning algorithm that is so deep in the data set and understand what's realistic that it can much better come up with realistic examples of underrepresented groups as if you were just simply, I don't know, having a data set and giving all or the, um, I don't know, 50% of all females in their 20K race. This uh, would definitely skew some other uh, aspects in the data because it's not realistic that somebody who earns 20K more, I don't know, um, has the same financial patterns, the same uh, amount on holiday spending, the same car brand and so on and so forth. And this is something that can be smartly changed with synthetic data, but still being overall highly accurate and not uh, distorting the accuracy too much. And this kind of uh, fine balance is something that fair synthetic data can help organizations to achieve. Fantastic. Well, there's a huge, uh, very exciting uh, world opening up then with synthetic data and the various, you know, stakeholder concerns about fairness and, and regulatory requirements coming down the road. It does sound like a very promising opportunity for AI companies wishing to anticipate some, some of these issues with their, their AI models uh, using a synthetic data set rather than uh, personal or, or, or pseudonymous or traditional uh, data sets. You're right. I'm also super excited about this because I really believe that AI has tremendous potential for us, not only from an economical perspective, but also for us as a society. But we need to make it right. We need to make sure that the AI is responsible. And I'm happy that synthetic data can contribute here. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that synthetic data helps making the world fairer and smarter uh, as it is currently. Well, that's a good optimistic note on which to draw the discussion to close. So thank you so much for your time, Alexandra Ebert, Chief Trust Officer at Mostly AI. It's been great talking to you today. Thank you so much, Robert, for your questions and for having me. It was a pleasure.